We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Nosotros crecemos cuando damos. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Welcome to ROG, Return on Generosity. I'm your host, Shannon Cassidy. This podcast celebrates generosity at work, not financial giving. Giving valuable time, mutual respect, alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. Our special guest today is Thomasina Williams. She is a strategic thought partner, coach and consultant to enterprising families, board member, VC investor, accomplished lawyer, philanthropy strategist, and founder of Sankofa Legacy Advisors. Thomasina and I met at Heroic Public Speaking, Welcome to ROG, Thomasina. Thank you so much, Shannon, for having me. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Me too. I always feel energized after conversations with you. And this in particular is going to be very interesting because you're our first guest on ROG who speaks about family-owned businesses, something very complicated and common. And I look forward to getting your thoughts on that. But before we get there, let's just hear a little bit about your background and and history. So as you said, my work is with families, families in business together or who own other shared assets. And what I do is really help families develop leaders. We think about leadership development in the context of the work setting, but we also need leaders in our families and in families who own businesses together, they can be one in the same. I feel really fortunate to have found this work Uh, I grew up in Florida, product of the 60s, during the height of the civil rights movement. My grandparents were blessed to be uh, fairly wealthy for their day and age for a black couple that had no formal education. And they amassed quite a bit of wealth. Unfortunately, most of that wealth is gone. The only thing that's left today is the six acres that was once their homestead. And that's vacant land. It's not even income producing. And there are probably, I don't know, 40 people at this point who have an ownership interest in those little six acres. And I came across a study which talked about how 70 to 90 percent of all families will lose their wealth by the end of the third generation. It is so pervasive that there's actually a name for that. It's called shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. And there's some iteration of it in virtually every part of the globe. And I realized that it wasn't just my family that had experienced that, but it's really fairly typical. And so I decided to go all in, combining my experience and background, having practiced law uh, in Miami for almost two decades, as well as having worked uh, at the Ford Foundation in institutional philanthropy for six years out of New York, and decided to combine those two along with this focus on families and business together to figure out how can I help other families to avoid the fate that befell my family, or if they've already in the state of my family, how do we course correct? And that really is the, the essence of, uh, of my journey to where I am today. It really was informed a lot by my grandparents, the work that they did, and then seeing all of that work be essentially lost and understanding not only is it fairly prevalent, there's actually a profession and people who can help families avoid that. Mm, 
Oh my gosh. I really look forward to learning more about how you do that and what are some of the pitfalls. So listeners who are involved in family-owned businesses or aiming to start or inherit a family-owned business can learn from your experiences. And so one of the highlights of the legal part of your career is a pro bono case that you took on in Miami-Dade County in Florida, and they named a day in your honor. Can you just say a little bit about that? Yes. Uh, Actually, it's funny. There are a lot of people in Miami who to this day think that I am a civil rights lawyer or a voting rights lawyer. I am not. Uh, They think that because I did lots of pro bono voting rights and civil rights work, pro bono meaning for free. And it wasn't my core practice. My practice was representing corporations in business disputes. But because I did so much pro bono free legal work in public interest cases that got a lot of publicity and attention, Uh, Some of them were pretty uh, significant landmark cases, voting rights case that actually changed the government in Miami-Dade County. It went from single member districts where no black person and no Hispanic person uh, had ever been able to get elected to the county commission to a single member district system. And uh, to this day now we have uh, 13 members on the county commission. Nine of those seats are held by, in Miami they use the term Hispanic as opposed to uh, Latino. Also four of the seats are held by county commissioners who are from the black community. So it totally changed the landscape of Miami-Dade County politics and the representation there. So because of those kinds of cases, um, just one of the commissioners was really impressed with the work, not only the work, but the results that we were able to get that were fairly significant and talked to uh, his colleagues on the county commission and they named September 21st, uh, Thomasina Williams Day. Oh my gosh. Well, happy anniversary of the day named after you. And that is a terrific story. And man, what what a story of generosity, right? You did this work free of charge to do what you believe needed to be done with the skills you've been given and made an impact. You started your firm, Sankofa. Can you tell us the significance of the name? Sankofa is primarily the area around uh, Ghana, which is on the, the west coast of Africa. And the bird is traditionally depicted with its feet facing forward, its head turned backwards, and it has an egg in its mouth. And what that means as it relates to families, it's my concept for describing stewardship. It means that here we are firmly planted in the present as we look back, draw on lessons from the past to give birth to new possibilities in the future. And the egg is a symbol of the future. And I think that speaks to the concept of stewardship, which is what most family businesses are all about, which families in general, I think, are all about. It's just some families have been fortunate to have a a business as a vehicle by which to perpetuate the legacy of drawing on the lessons from the past to give birth to new possibilities in the future. Mm. Oh, that's so beautiful and symbolic. Thank you for sharing that with us. So what are some of the key ways that you have seen generosity at work, both in your own career and with your clients that you support? 
For me, generosity starts actually with ourselves. I think, especially when it comes to work, that many of us are so driven, we want to be at the top of our game 24-7, but the reality is we're human and we're gonna all make mistakes. And sometimes we can be uh, harder on ourselves than other people are on us. I think it starts with being generous to ourselves and then showing generosity to others by providing opportunities for others, by giving people the benefit of the doubt, by recognizing that we all make mistakes and giving people a second opportunity should that be uh, in order. Thank you for reminding us of how important that is. And I'm sure in your line of work, you have the opportunity to see how some people don't always see the benefit of the doubt or they don't always interpret things in a way that's generous or assuming positive intent. So what can you share with us around what you've observed around like blame and judgment and how sometimes those are barriers to people having productive relationships? I think uh, blame and judgment are almost always barriers to productive relationships. I think about generosity as it relates to relationships in terms of space. Giving people space, giving ourselves space to blossom into our potential, to do what it is that we wanna do, but also being generous to others and giving them that same space. It's fascinating how oftentimes we know what our intent is always. And if someone misunderstands something that we do, we sometimes, you know, we're kind of hurt by that. Like me, like, why would you question my intent? Yet, we don't give other people that same benefit of the doubt. We assume oftentimes the worst in people rather than taking space, pausing to just ask ourselves, what else might that comment have meant? We can take things, I think, also out of context. We don't look at the big picture oftentimes, which is one of the things that I talk to families a lot about is understanding the context in which things are happening. A classic example, I once had a, a boss who was brilliant, brilliant young woman. She wasn't as skilled in managing up her manager and there were just challenges. Her manager also had some challenges. So, you know, I'm the nearest target. Okay, I accept that because I have compassion for her, number one, and I understand the context in which she's operating. It's not about me. And therefore, I can be generous with her and have dinner with her and go to lunch with her, even though she did something that was uncalled for <laughs> just a week ago. Um, I, you know, I don't hold grudges against people. And again, I think it helps to understand the context. When we're in uh, work settings, there may be conflicts between people on the team or between people on the team and the manager because they're focused on those individuals and they're not looking at the bigger picture. We're looking at individuals and not appreciating what is the dynamic, the interaction going on between those individuals and sometimes between one or more of those individuals and someone who's not even in the immediate picture, a la me and my former manager. Uh, this, the concept is what's called triangles. There was really a triangle there where if I only focus on my manager as the individual, 
you know, some people would say I have all kinds of reasons to, quote, be legitimately upset with her and not engage with her. But because I have the ability to step back, widen my lens, take a systems view. So I think those are the kinds of opportunities we have to look at the bigger picture and be generous with other people and not take everything personally. It's not always about us. Actually, it's rarely about us if we're looking at the big picture. When we come back, Thomasina will share how to take space, pause, and scale back for a more contextual perspective. Introducing the brand new QuadPod Podcast Network. At QuadPod, we have a variety of podcasts that are as unique as you. When you visit QuadPod.com, you'll see our shows listed by category as well as average episode length. Find a new podcast at QODPOD.com, the QuadPod Podcast Network. That's QODPOD.com. And we're back with more from Thomasina Williams, founder and principal consultant, Sankofa Legacy Advisors. Right. Oh, there's so much in what you just said, Thomasina, that we could unpack and really look at. One of the things I'm curious about in with the relationship with your former manager is, did you ever make her aware of how her behavior made you feel? Well, see, that's the interesting thing. It didn't make me uncomfortable or make me feel bad because I have a different perspective on what was going on. The people who were troubled were my colleagues. They're the ones who would say to me, how can you talk to her? How can you go and have lunch with her when she's... It, it wasn't my issue. It was the issue other people had. And I would try to explain to them, it's not about me. If you understand the context in which she's operating. And I just tend to I have a different view of the world. I, I don't take things like that personally because I've learned to look at the larger context and understand something else is going on here that's not apparent if I'm only focusing on that one individual, which is candidly, I think, what helps me be a good consultant. Absolutely, for sure. And so how can you help us have a similar kind of paradigm or frame? What does that frame look like? What are questions that you ask yourself to remind yourself to go there? So I think it's important, this concept of space, to me is an important one. I need to first take space to pause before reacting to something my manager may say, rather than me instinctively, impulsively snapping back at her or getting upset and going to a whole nother place. Because none of us make our best decisions or have our most productive conversations when we just lose it like that. So the first thing is to take space for myself to think, is what my instinct was to say really something that needs to be said now? Will it be productive in this conversation, in this context, is the first question. Second question to ask myself, in addition to where I instantly went with what my manager said, What might be some of the other influences, the broader context in which my manager is operating that would prompt my manager to do something like this? And then 
as I said, to have some compassion for that person who's grappling with, and everybody in the institution was aware of the dynamics. It's just that we reacted differently to those dynamics. Those are really helpful questions as we're encountering situations where we might just impulsively want to react. And you're saying the key thing here is to take space. Take the space for yourself, give space to others, let things settle down a little, and then be more thoughtful in how you want to respond. Absolutely. And I think if we could do just that, if we could just take space ourselves, whether that's uh, you're in a difficult conversation at a meeting, take a sip of water, excuse yourself and go to the bathroom. Take space long enough for you to calm down and to, again, reflect and think, what else could this mean? What can I do to make this a productive outcome? One of the things that I have really come to appreciate is neuroscience. We know so much about how the brain and the body operate. Oftentimes people will hear what I do at my work and they'll say, oh, are you a counselor? Are you a therapist? Because we've been trained to think that whenever we need some help in relationships, that there must be something wrong, that there's some, quote, dysfunction. I don't believe in dysfunction. I I think there are people who are doing the best they can in very difficult circumstances who haven't had the exposure who haven't had the resources and the opportunities to learn a different way. My mother said to me something years ago, like decades ago, I was troubled by one of my brother's uh, girlfriends, something the woman did. I was like, that just makes no sense. I just, I don't get it. And my mother said to me, you have to recognize that most people are doing the best they can. And that if she knew better, she would more than likely do better. But if you look at, again, the context, the circumstances in which she grew up, what she's doing makes perfect sense in her world. And that has always stuck with me to not be judgmental, which was your opening question, not be judgmental, not assert blame, but try to understand the context in which other people are operating. Something about the human dynamic is we tend to think that everyone sees the world the way we do. The context and what is happening that is having an influence on how people evolve and mature or not in their families. And there's all kind of research to suggest that the way in which we show up at work has a lot to do with how we show up in our families and how we grew up in our families of origin. So it's all very much related. Oh my goodness. Yes, Thomasina, there's so much that I want to talk to you about there. And specifically, I want to talk about conflict. I want to come back to something you just said about triangle and, and understand what you mean when you say that. What, do you, what, do, what does triangle mean? So this goes back to uh, a lot having to do with, with neuroscience and with the science of human behavior. I've studied uh, something called Bowen Family Systems Theory, which is a, a science around how we interact and the sensitivity that humans have to each other. In familiar relationships, that sensitivity is heightened. So it goes back to the typical fight, flight, freeze, or appease syndrome, that our bodies, we are biologically hardwired to be constantly scanning the landscape for danger. In the caveman days, danger was physical. 
and it was lions and tigers and bears. Today, while our brains uh, have evolved to some degree, they have not kept pace, frankly, with technology. And while today most of us, although not all of us, don't have a fear of physical safety, it's the psychological safety that we perceive threats uh, all over the place. There, there are five sort of basic needs that people have as it relates to their environmental challenges. One is the need for approval. We all want to be in good stead with our family. We all want the approval of our boss and our colleagues. We like to be liked. Uh, related is belonging. Nobody wants to be on the outside. And the uh, science that I have studied says that the most stable relationship is a three-person relationship. Why? Because when tensions get too great amongst two people, they inevitably look to a third person or a third thing or circumstance. You know, if a manager is having difficulty with the team member and that manager doesn't know how to have that conversation and engage with that team member, that manager, it may be off talking to other managers about this particular individual. That employee is off talking to other employees about the manager. Rather than the two of them, trying to figure out how can they get to a place of a better relationship. So rather than dealing with their own tension, they spread the anxiety out by looking for other people to enlist to their side. And that is how triangles form. So you said that triangles are the most stable relationships. And so I wonder how it works to the benefit of the relationship, because it sounds like it would be more beneficial if the two individuals worked it out together. It is beneficial. So first of all, triangles are everywhere. They're just a natural part of who we are, how we are. The challenge only becomes when there's some, I I call it difference. There's some difference of opinion, a challenge, difficulty between two of those people who don't know how to work it out. It is always better to figure out how to work it out. But because we have this natural aversion, most people, to any kind of tension, we have difficulty having difficult conversations or conversations about sensitive subjects, many people will opt to flee and go find somebody else to talk to and vent about. Or they may freeze and sit there and take what might be considered abuse or inappropriate behavior from someone else. So the skill uh, to develop as a leader, whether you're a manager, uh, an executive, or you're uh, a line employee, is to figure out how to work out differences, how to have difficult conversations. Oftentimes, a challenge happens because Rather than taking space, people want to engage right then and there. That that I want to convince you, no, you are wrong and I am right. As opposed to stepping back and thinking, I don't know, maybe that's something I can learn here. Maybe there is a different way to do this. Um, another great thing that, uh, that uh, has worked for a lot of people is if two people are having a conflict, Rather than sitting around a conference room table and each person kind of digging in their heels and making no progress, get up and take a stroll around the parking lot. Just take a walk together. Get outside. Uh, 
different environment, different energy. There's something about being outside in nature. If you can't go outside, just walk around the floor. Movement, um, it, it's, it's, it's in our bodies and we've got to somehow get that anxiety and that tension out of our bodies. It's not just only about our heads because again, we're reacting biologically to a perceived threat to approval, belonging, certainty, control, or safety. And that's often what's going yes, on. Yes, and I think the idea of going outside for a walk is that the two of you are now facing in the same direction. So you're getting fresh air, you're changing your environment, you're coming, you're in a more neutral place, and you're also physically facing in the right direction as opposed to opposites. It might be symbolic. You do a lot of work with families. You've seen generous acts and probably not so generous acts, what would you describe as the return on generosity? Where do you see the dividends of being generous? I think the most important dividend is to yourself. Uh, As we were talking about earlier, being generous to ourselves is really important, and it can sometimes be difficult to give to others what we won't give to ourselves. Ultimately, generosity is about, in my opinion, sharing. It's about sharing the space. It's about uh, allowing for an opportunity to co-create something that neither person can do on their own. It's about allowing space for creativity, for people to emerge and develop into the best that they can be, giving space for someone to show what they can do. Yes, So true. So I want to hear your favorite quote or what this means to you. One of your favorite quotes is from Luke 12, 48, and it's those to whom much is given, much is required. Yes, I believe that wholeheartedly. I've tried to live that all my life. It's the, again, speaking of systems and context, it's the context in which I grew up. Uh, My family was always very giving. And to me, to have the opportunity to share what I've been given is a double blessing. I can be blessed by the gifts, the resources, the talents, the opportunities that have bestowed upon me. And I can also be a blessing to someone else by extending them an opportunity, uh, extending them a helping hand, extending them a kind word and passing that on. Oh, that's so beautiful and well said. And you do that really well. So I think we should come full circle and just help the listeners understand how you help small businesses prevent that shirt sleeve to shirt sleeves in three generations type of thing. I know that's a lot in just a few minutes, but any advice that you could give those who are listening who are family-owned business members? Absolutely. And I think that the work that I do is in the context of family, but the principles we've been talking about apply across the board. It's really about human behavior, uh, not simply families. What I would say to families listening in particular, though, is to invest and be as purposeful in investing in their families and their family relationships and developing family leaders as they are in investing in their business. So I would say simply invest in your family like you invest in your business. And that the most important asset, the most valuable asset that any of us have individually and collectively is who we are and not what we own. Thank you for that encouragement. That really is such a great way for us to close and 
the reminder to take space. That's a reoccurring theme. And what I heard you say here today, Thomasina, is take space for yourself, take space before you react to something, encourage other people to take space so that they could figure out where they want to grow and how they want to grow, and then to take the space to go and do that development in their relationships. Thank you for being who you are and for showing us how it's done. Our OG takeaway tip, how to apply what we've learned to our own work and lives. There are so many things that Thomasina shared that we can apply to our own lives. Let's practice how we can take space for ourselves and others. When we are in a situation and feel like we're not totally sure how to respond or concerned that we might not be in our healthiest mindset, here are some questions that we could ask ourselves to intentionally take space. Number one, is this something that I want to respond to now? Sometimes we believe that everything needs an immediate response. Maybe not. If you're being triggered by something, maybe it's best to wait and sleep on it or allow yourself some time. Aim to take a beat and respond later. Number two, what might be the other influences and broader context? Stephen Covey says, we judge others by their behaviors and judge ourselves on our intentions. What might the other person's intentions be? What other context is important to consider? Other events, people involved, timing, social demand, financial tension, maybe political pressure. Number three, how can I interpret this situation with compassion? What's the most generous, resourceful, and kind way for me to perceive what's going on here? If I were coming from a place of abundance, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, how might I interpret this situation? What else could it mean? So let's take Thomasina's advice and be generous to ourselves, knock off the blame and judgment, and give ourselves and others space and the benefit of the doubt. Join us next week with Dave Ramsey, the original Philly fanatic. Until then, stay generous, everyone. Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast. Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit bridgebetween.com. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give.